Welcome back to Random Book Club Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Van. With me today, as always, is Justin Mason, indie author, and we are here for the big review of The Sword of Bedware by R.A. Salvatore. First book in the Crimson Shadow series. Justin, we did it. Not only is it the first book in the Crimson Shadow series, it is the first book you and I have read start to finish on the Random Book Club podcast, Dan, the dream has become a reality. It's here. We've done it. So yep, this we book. Did we did it. The podcast is over. We're announcing the official end of the podcast. This is the last episode ever. It. Never. Done. Hopefully it inspired you guys to start your own podcast about book reviews so I can watch them and enjoy them on the side. <laughs> How many times are we going to use that joke I now? I don't know. Um, Dan, we did the short review. Yes. We did the shorter but what was it about 14? That one was for the kids. Ago. That one was for yeah. the kids. Now, now the adults are here. Mrs. You know, B is watching and we're okay. ready to go into the deep dives. All right. As so we let's, always do, you know, you and I have done this before you and I have been here before this last book that I wrote, uh, the rise of night, this last book that I wrote, it was over 300 pages. You and I get, would get on the phone and we would talk in the afternoon for two, three hours, sometimes about nothing. Just just diving into different random elements. Where does this character come from? Why, why do we care? Like, what, what's their backstory? What happened to her when she was a child? You know, what happened to him? How did he get here? So, man, I feel like we're ready for this. Yeah, we transferred that over to this pretty well. It, it parlayed into yeah. this pretty well. So I think right. what we can start with is I would like to just start by saying, um, going over each chapter really quickly. I wrote like two sentences for each chapter max and we're going to go through it. And as we hit it, uh, we can talk about what we thought about it. Um, and we're going to review this whole freaking book. Three, two, one, go. Starting with the prologue, we have the 600 years ago, back when Bruce McDonald was, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Uh, there was a prologue. It talks about Bruce McDonald being such a prolific figure. Bruce McDonald, the Thank unifier. You. Hell yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it it brought that prologue. Even though prologues nowadays seems to be cliche, when something is done well, you can supersede the cliche. And this was done in '93, back when it was like it. That's what you did. You wrote a fantasy book. You wrote a prologue. You wrote an epilogue. You know what I mean? You put that stuff in there. But this is so well done in just a in three pages or something like that, he goes over the entire history, shows you where the land is to match the map on the back of the book and gives you the ideas of uh, the seeds of what is to come in this story, which is Luthien's story. This is a 20 page info dump condensed into three pages. Awesome. It was, it was awesome. Well yeah. done for any aspiring writer. It's a great one to read. If you want to put a prologue in, even though it's cliche nowadays, freaking do it. You do what you want. You write the book that you want to write. But this is a really good structure to follow, like a template. Yes. Uh, yes. Read it and be like, man, he dumped a lot of information in here, but I understood it all. And if I was interested in the little minute details, you know this is going to get you excited. It got me excited. I wrote so many yeah. notes on that prologue. It was bigger than you the did. actual prologue itself. Yeah. So that was a, that was a great prologue. Then we go into the chapter breakdowns. Chapter one was called Ethan's Doubts. 
Ethan and Garrus are talking to each other while they're watching the boats come into harbor. The boats that have two banners on them. The banner of Montfort and the banner of the Cyclopean Horde. And mm-hmm. um, they go, then they go in, they have a little dispute about why they're even here. And then they go to the training yard into the arena where Luthien is dispatching all the other trainees. No problem. So we meet three main characters. We see the impending uh, bad guys show up. And we move on. Chapter there's, two. And there's yep. and there's a little bit of dissension. I just want to make this point. There is a little bit of dissension that we're noted on right away in this first chapter between Ethan and Garrus. Because Ethan, Ethan is like, Ethan's proud. He's like, I, he's, I imagine, what Garrus was like 20 years previous. Yeah. And Ethan is like, you know, Dad, why are you, why are you rolling over for these guys? And, you know, Garrus has got to play the part. Yep. And he lets his son know that at every single chance he can. S- time to get back into line and stop gambling with people's lives. So here I'm, I'm going to show you guys um, some banners. These were the banners that were on the ships. Uh, we have the so banner of Montfort. Yep. The banner of Montfort, which is the, the arm, uh, the el- uh, bent at the elbow with the pickaxe. And nice. the, um, then we have the Cyclopean banner with the, the one eye bloodshot eye with two crossed hands above it. I made it look like a little crown. I thought it was cool. I tweeted that to Bob and he retweeted it. What? He retweeted that. So I That's was happy cool. about that. That's cool. So that was chapter one, chapter two, two nobles and their ladies. So this is when we meet Aubrey who hates the dishes on the islands, hates leek mm-hmm. soup. Mm-hmm. Fellow Wilmot, uh, Alenia, and Avaness, or Avanese. Then we cut to the tunnels under the arena where we meet Garth Rogar. R.I.P., my man. Um, <laughs> we love you, Garth. I got a little picture for that, too. This was my first little thing I made for uh, Garth. It's got a you know picture of Luthien here um, saying, Party on Garth at the grave of his fellow Rogar. <laughs> That's cool. Yep. Um, we also meet Catherine uh, O'Hale, right? We meet Catherine O'Hale uh, and our Cyclopean bro, Buckwow. Remember Buckwow, dude? I feel like Buckwow's because every time I think about this book, I'm like, what about Buckwow? What, what about Dan's about favorite Buckwell? character? <laughs> Can we get a side story, Bob? <laughs> dude, I, I, made a, I made a list of things that we didn't see in the book that were mentioned. Um, and Buckwow is one of them. He's a cool Cyclopean <laughs> training partner who can take a lot of, of punishment. And he's he's a friend, you know. They they mention him as um, a training partner, like as if they have a relationship with Buckwell. He's, like he's, he's not like a slave or anything. Yeah, he's a named Cyclopean. There are only two named Cyclopeans in this entire book. Croesus. Think the, about that, guys. Yep, Croesus, the leader of the Cyclopeans, the the first Duke of Greensboro, and Buckwell. 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 And. Wouldn't it have been cool if Buckwell was along with them on this journey? All the times they meet up with Cyclopeans, how they could have maybe slipped through some situations, or maybe Buckwell would have been made fun of for some reason, or you know, like um, that could have been really interesting. I'd like to see more of Buckwell if we have the chance. Although, as we know at the end of the book, uh, Isle Bedrigan has been rid of the Cyclopean taint or whatever they called it. Remember, so Buckwell probably no longer exists. I have a prediction for the second book. I'll make it right now. Buckwell will show up with Garrus's horde to fight against Greensboro. I'd love that. He'll show up. 
Absolutely for love revenge that. For, revenge for Garth. So, um, in this chapter as well, we have three fights that take place to um, to entertain the guests. Yes. And uh, the first two are immediately shot out. There's a, a, a fight between Cyclopeans and the, the ladies do not like it. Then they, they, bas- they basically say, if I wanted to watch Cyclopeans fight, I would have stayed home. Yeah, they said something like, I'd throw a piece of raw meat in uh, yeah. Montfort. And they're like, yeah. oh, then we have um, Katarina O'Hale and some other hottie from across the island roll in, and they make those ladies jelly because yeah. they are a couple of pieces, fine pieces, wearing very skimpy leather. You know, classic 93 uh, fantasy <laughs> armor. And I think it's fair to say that Avanes and Elenia have so much makeup on that it's even mentioned a few times in the book that they couldn't hide how old they were. Yeah, they're old and smelly. Yeah. yeah basically, yeah. And then finally we get the prize fight between Luthien and Garth, and it's epic. It's, okay, if the the prologue was three pages, this fight was like three times that. Yeah. This fight was three prologues. <laughs> this fight was three prologues. Three Bob prologues. Which yeah. is saying something. Because yeah. this dude writes. This dude writes. Do you think since the prologue was, you know, 20 pages of info dump condensed into three pages. Do you think it's possible that this fight was originally 60 pages? <laughs> it very well could have. I would like to see the, the, the B side of this fight. Oh, and Bob's God, like, so um, do you have a gig of hard drive space on your computer? <laughs> because that's what it's going to be. <laughs> uh, yes, Bob, I do. And you can send it to rbcpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, Bob. So um, Luthien ends up winning that fight but ends up losing losing in the end because Garth takes an arrow to the heart and dies instantly. Yeah. So this was the first scene in the book. Um, I assume we're going to go back and talk about everything. Yes, but of this course. Was the fir- this was the first really serious scene in the book. Yes, we know there's like this storm hovering over Isle Bedrogen right now with the Cyclopians, uh, figuratively, of course. But this was the first scene in the book that really made me go, Oh, oh shit. Damn. Here we go. Well, it's it, happening. the first three chapters are very much uh, politically based. It's like yes. they're setting up, um, you know, Ethan as, you know, Luthien's older brother. He's like 35 and he's telling mm-hmm. his dad, Garrus, the leader of Isle Bedrogen, the, the Yorl of Bedrogen, basically saying, hey, man, why are we kowtowing to these guys? And it gets very political. And it was something that I did not like. I did not like the politicalness. And then when Aubrey who is the cousin to um, yeah, yeah. Duke Morkney from Montfort and his buddy Wilmot and Elenia and Evaness. They come in and they're just pushing their power around. Mm-hmm. And it's very annoying. And it's very Game of Thronesy first season mm-hmm. where you're just kind of yeah. like, well, we have to go along with it because they're more powerful than us. I hate that stuff. I hate it. But then when this scene happens, it's a fun fight scene, gets you back into the book, and as soon as you have your fun, Bob shoots an arrow in it and kills it. <laughs> I mean, was, basically. It was hard. It, that was a hard one. So then we knew in the third chapter how they dealt with this was whether or not we're going to continue. Chapter three, farewell, my brother. Luthien takes off. Garrus and Ethan have it out, leaving Garrus ashamed yet steadfast in his decision to do nothing in the moment. And Ethan points out that Evanese is an obvious spy. He knew she was a spy, dude. 
Like from yeah. the get. Garrus literally slaps the sense into Ethan, slaps him in the face, saying, Learn your role, know your place. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth before I whoop your candy ass. And it ends <laughs> it ends with saying with Garrus saying or thinking that he has to put into he didn't want to do this so quickly, but now he has to put into action plans that he knew he had to do. And we don't hear anything else of that for the rest of the book. What are these plans? We might have to save that for my last deep dive tinfoil hat. I, well, we'll get the tinfoil hat out later at the end of the re, at the end of the review. Bring it back up because I got I think I know what the plan is. All right. Moving on to chapter four, um, it's called "Wet with the Blood of a Fallen Enemy." Luthien meets up with Ethan, getting ready to head out to war in Gascony. Ethan's yeah. not stoked about it. He's saying, "Yeah, Dad's sending me off to war, bro." And he's like, well, uh, I'll come with you. He's like, no, you're the favorite son, bro. You stay here. Stay here. Yeah. And listen to that old man. Luthien gets his, then Luthien gets his revenge on the Cyclopean crossbowman who killed Garth. And he hatches a plan to get out of Dodge and meet up with Ethan. So he's like, I'm out. Okay. Then um, without looking back, chapter five, Luthien leaves with River Dancer by covering his tracks and faking his disappearance. Then he heads for Diamond Gate Ferry. Yep. Is it without looking or without looking back? Oh, yeah. Wasn't that a difference? In, <laughs> in the actual book, in the actual yeah. book, what is it? Without, without looking? looking back. Oh, okay. Without looking back. Oh, okay. Yeah. And in my Kindle version, it's without looking. Yeah. <laughs> Whose was better? The original 93 hardcover? <sighs> I don't know. He had to take some, he had to take some words out for the Kindle that's version. Probably how he, that's probably how he did it. <laughs> They're like, you are three words too long in this book. It will not sell as well in the Kindle if you have it this much longer. He's like, all right, take out a couple of those. Change the word Eriador to Erlador. Let's let's make this happen. Okay, so he has an issue crossing the bridge while he heads to the Diamond Gate Ferry because he meets up with a merchant wagon. But he gets across it, and then we meet Oliver in Threadbare. Oliver DeBurrow's the halfling, and Threadbare, Threadbare the Shetland pony, Killa from Manila. So then we move on to chapter six. Oliver de Burroughs is the name of the chapter. We have a sweet fight and an introduction to Oliver. Luthien and Oliver get away with treasure. Remember that? It's a great chapter. It's great chapter. It was an awesome chapter. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and that's what they did. And Oliver is really cool. And Oliver's like, yeah, hit him that way and hit him that way. And Luthien's like, okay, okay, okay. And he's like, just wiping the floor with these guys with the help of Oliver. Yeah, it was cool. Chapter seven, the Diamond Gate Ferry. Oliver and Luthien decide to roll together, and they travel, uh, stopping at farmhouses along the way, and they get to know each other pretty well. There is an ambush when Oliver and Luthien try to get to the ferry to cross over to Eriador, and the mainland, and there is some epic ferry fighting as they escape a dorsal whale. That was so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. That was the chapter that we're like, this is a cliffhanger that you want to keep reading. Yeah. Yep. Um, then at uh, chapter eight, we got a road well taken by Robert Salvatore. After crash landing into the banks of Eriador, the pair make haste out of the out of there while being chased down by people. <laughs> Cuz they didn't want to have to deal with the cost of Oh water. yeah, cuz those yeah, cuz those guys were like coming over to him to talk to him and see what was going on. And... Yeah, he's like, "I think we should get out of here." Yeah. He's like, "I think we should go." So they continue traveling, getting to know each other, or we get to know Oliver even more, and he, it says something in the book like he's uh one part truth, three part bluster. Or something like that. Three, part, three parts embellishment. Yeah. 
and they eventually make it to McDonald's Swath, where they are ambushed in the long grass, uh, eventually being rescued by a teleportation spell. Isn't that crazy? Remember that? It was awesome, yeah. Chapter 9, Brindamore. They meet the wizard who saved them. Oliver is caught stealing from the wizard. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. Oh, Multiple th- things. This vial? Not, Here you go. You just, can have your vials. I'll have the other one. Give me the other vials. I've been watching you guys for a long time. <laughs> I know you have like 20 of them. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was classic, dude. Yeah, Oliver is pretty sweet um, in his little grubby fingers. So um, Oliver's caught stealing. But the pair are treated to a Beauty and the Beast-like dinner as they discuss their first job together in exchange for the wizard, saving their lives. Yep. And they agree to it. Chapter 10, White Lies. They're transported into the cave with the staff that Brynamore wants them to get, and they face off against a giant turtle monster in an underground lake. They find their way into a vast treasure room where they find the staff, and Luthien finds the crimson cape and the bow. And... The dragon finds Oliver. Chapter 11, Belthazar. Oliver sweet talks the dragon until Luthien can plunk a firework into its face, giving the pair a chance to escape. (laughs) What is this, Monster Hunter? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Then they run out of the chamber, back into the underground lake where a turf war begins. Monster Hunter. Turf War I think he played the original Monster Hunter. Yep, Turf War occurs between the turtle and the dragon. Ultimately, they get saved by Brindamore again, who is lying in wait with his portal. Chapter 12, Tales from Better Days. Brindamore and Oliver share a chuckle as Luthien sulks about almost dying. You know, when they get out of the portal immediately, Brindamore and Oliver are slapping each other on the back, going, got yes, coins, yes, yes, yes. I got it. I got the coins. Hey, look at I got some coins from it. Hey, good job, Oliver. And Luthien's just like, but you guys, we almost, almost died. died bro. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, then we hear about Brindy's past and how he is in hiding now. So we learn about the Brotherhood of Wizards, how they used to build these beautiful cathedrals, um, and now it's all been tainted. And that's why he's in hiding. Yeah, now it's all for taxes. <laughs> so they get to keep the stuff they looted. Oliver gets some sweet uh, thieving gear, and they get passage into Montfort courtesy of Brindamore. Chapter 13, Montfort. The two make their way into Montfort. Luthien is impressed with the city, but not with Oliver's booby-trapped apartment. We also meet Tasman. The Tasmanian the devil. The Tasmanian devil of, yeah. of Short Street, Little yeah, Alley, of, uh, Tiny of the Alcove. The Dwarf. The Dwarf, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, that I love Tasman. He's a great character. One of my favorite characters, but Taz is pretty great. And Taz is like, yo, you want your apartment back? Go ahead, man. Can't wait to see you when you come back from it. Knowing very well that it's been booby-trapped to shit. And all <laughs> and Oliver uses this as a uh, a little learning tool for Luthien to yeah. uh, teach him how to look before he leaps. Chapter 15, or chapter 14, The First Job. They steal shit from a merchant, almost get caught, and leave their first crimson shadow. <laughs> I mean, basically. Yeah, they, yeah that, that's what happened there. Uh, chapter 15, the letter. Luthien writes home to dad. Oliver feels for the kid and takes him to market to get some coats for the kids. Luthien sees a half-elf hottie slave girl. The Crimson Shadow becomes a household name. Because now they're stealing shit. Now they're getting well-known. 
Luthien's all sulky because he's writing to his dad, admitting that he's okay, but he is a thief now. And he is actually kind of okay with that, you know, but it does make him really depressed. And after seeing that, Oliver's like, hey, man, Oliver, this was the part when I was like, Oliver is going to kill Luthien or try to oust him or something. But this is when Oliver turned for me, where he's like, he read the letter that says who he's been working with, Oliver, like totally naming Oliver and what yeah. town they're in and all that shit. And he's like, you know what? I've been there, kid. Let's go do something cool. Let's go get some coats. I need to get a fancy coat. And then Luthien catches on and is like, oh, it's for the kids. This is awesome. And he's got all, he's all happy about it. And then he meets, oh my gosh, there she is. The most beautiful half-elf slave girl I've ever seen in my life. And then we get into the lust mode there. But wait a minute, Luthien. You've only seen one half-elf slave girl in your entire life. Yeah. She's the most beautiful, though. (laughs) Yeah. Chapter 16, The Perils of Reputation. The stakes get raised as the Crimson Shadow becomes such a menace to the, uh, such a menace that the patrols are doubled. A trap is set for them, but they narrowly escape with the help of Shuglin the Dwarf. Nice. With a nice Shuga. hammer to the face of the captain of the, um, of the patrol. He greased him. Chapter 17, Outrage. The two are temporarily quarantined as things chill down. Luthien wants to see the slave girl again. He sees her. Uh, and gets slapped. Now Luthien wants to free her. Uh, oh, oh, he sees her get slapped, and now he wants to free her. He's like, no, she, can, she can't be under that guy's command anymore. She's a woman. I must protect her. And Oliver's like, all right, I guess. <laughs> it's a bad idea, bro, but if I can't stop you. Uh, chapter 19, In Hollywood Halls. Duke Morkney is confronted by the merchants about the Crimson Shadow. Shaban tells Luthien about Shuglin's upcoming... Oh, wait. Oh, we, we skipped Not So Much a Slave. Chapter 18. Not so, mu- no, not so Much a Slave. Luthien and Oliver plan to break the slave girl out, but turns out she's an operator for the Cutter, cutter Thieving Guild. She's fine. She's good. She don't need she's help. She's fine. She don't need help. She's well trained. Chapter 19 in Hall to Hall, Duke Morkney is confronted by the merchants about the Crimson Shadow. Shaban tells Luthien about Shuglin's upcoming trial. Luthien wants to save him now, and they go to the trial, but they can't save him. Chapter 20, The Value of a Kiss. Oliver and Luthien go to the mines and break out Shuglin and escape. Chapter 21, Unwanted Attention. People are now openly impersonating the Crimson Shadow, and we lose two of our best thieving buddies, all-around great guys, it's a shame they're dead. Pour one out for Stumpy Corset Buster and Dirty Abner. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some great names. To Stumpy and Dirty Abner. I'll raise my empty water bottle. Yeah. 22, Bait. Shaban gets turned in by her master. Oliver and Luthien go to the trial, and Luthien fires the first shot. When I was writing these little short descriptions, it's like, dang, that escalated quickly. Yeah, it does. It just ramps up at the end. Chapter 23, tell them. Tell them. A riot breaks out. Stone gargoyles have come to life. Undead pour out of the foundations. The cutters reveal themselves and fight, and our two heroes chase Morkney up a spire to meet him on the roof where he turns into a demon. Damn. Chapter 24, the demon. Dramatic battle. Oliver helps save the day. Morkney is dead. The people riot in the streets. To the name of the Crimson Shadow. Yep. 
Yeah. So I guess uh, then we get to the epilogue and we're we're with Luthien at the end and uh, he's overlooking the riots going on in the street that has happened for uh, about a month now. There's snow on the ground, blood on the snow, uh, and he has to make a decision to go forward and fight this battle. He meets up with Katarina O'Hale. She says, we're with you. She hands him the family heirloom, the sword of Bedweer, the, what's it called? One-Eye Killer? Blind Striker. Blind Striker. And we know that Garrus is on board. Setting up an epic second book, Luthien's Gamble. So that's the whole book. That's what happened. So as far as the arcs and stuff in this book, it starts off slow, political. Luthien gets out of town. Then he meets up with Oliver. They almost get killed, but are saved by a wizard, which sends them on a, just a random quest. To, random side quest, yeah. To get a staff for Brindamore, but also giving Luthien the Crimson Shadow cape. I have, a, I have thoughts about that yes. when you're ready. Go ahead. I think Brindamore is working from the shadows. And I don't mean like a thief. I mean like a mage. Because we've already heard from him that he can't leave that yep. that he can't leave that cave. I think Brindamore is working from the shadows. And I think he purposely put Luthien in possession of that stuff to lead the rebellion. Against Morkney and against Montfort and against Greensboro. So I think that's why those things were in the cave. Do I think maybe Brindamore has seen some of this stuff and has maybe he's come back in time or maybe he's working with Oliver? We don't know that yet. We haven't been exposed to any of that. Remember, I made some predictions about that stuff. But I think Brindamore is working against Morkney and he's working against the other wizard dukes who we've been told there's other wizard dukes. He's working against that have been other tainted. wizard They're dukes. evil. Yes, yes. And Green Sparrow. He's working against them from the confines of his cave. And how does he do that? He works through Luthien. I agree. Is it possible? Here's something that, holy crap. Deep dive? You ready? Let's do it. Let's start him. Okay. We're in 80 feet of water. Here we go, guys. Deep dive. Do you remember I made the prediction that I thought Luthien had run out of luck or his luck was bad yep. when he had the cape on? What if, what if, um, Brindamore was blessing him and watching him. And what if he got distracted or if he got, Ooh, if there was something going on in the back end, maybe if he got telepathically assailed by Morkney or by one of the other wizard Dukes. And that was why he was unable to focus. And that was why Luthien missed that one shot. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been cool if we, we got that scene of Morkney uh, scrying, looking for the crimson cape and then when it got that 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 red wall that came in front of his mirror you know because he he got blocked maybe that like also took Brindamore out of it like oh crap and then then that's when Luthien missed or something it sent like it did send some sort of a shockwave to Luthien that's what i mean what if Brindamore is blessing and helping Luthien from the shadows as he goes on this quest does Luthien it's, need it's, the blessing? Isn't he of great blood? He is, but it's very subtle. Yeah. The, the hints at it that it's possible. You got to go underneath the surface. That's why we do these deep dives. It is so freaking subtle. Mm. Think about that. I like it. Makes sense. 
That's not that crazy. So is the cape blessed or is Luthien blessed? Brindamore is using magic to help Luthien. Mm. The cape still does its thing. The bow still is a bow. But not Brindamore anymore. Remember, blessed. it broke. It did break, yep. So now what's with that? We don't even get a finish with that. He doesn't rebuild it. He doesn't pick it up. Or does it come back? We don't know. But Brindamore is, he said he was watching over him through his crystal ball. Yep. So His magical gaze. There could be a little guidance going on here. That's interesting. So so he gets that. He gets the, the Crimson Shadow Cape. And they get entry into Montfort using Brindamore's magic. They get in there. Now. Yeah. We talked about this when they go into Montfort. We talked about this. Do you think that those passes were magically enchanted? Because when the Cyclopean first looks at it, he's like, oh, boss, look at this. And the boss is like, these are slimy humans. I don't trust them. You know, whatever he said. He, he wasn't buying it. And then he looks at the pass and he's like, all right, come on, get them in here. Just from those subtle hints, I think we know that Brindamore is working magic and maybe there's nothing at all on those passes. Maybe it's blank part. Yeah. I think it's just enchanted because even one of them who was happy to read it was reading it upside down. So that kind of tells us that whatever's on there is making those things, those beings happy. Mind control. And the one wasn't buying it until he looked at it. As soon as he looked at it, his attitude changed and they open the gates and they get in there. And then we we kind of get introduced to the seedier side of town, to a place called the Dwelf, which the whole reason why the Dwelf even exists is because the majority of taverns in the city are human run for humans and Cyclopeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only real refuge is these kind of small little taverns that cater to the other folk. So it's kind of it was it's interesting to see that um, that there was some light racism there. I I liked the fact that we got to go to a more interesting tavern as opposed to like a human tavern for yeah. humans and that's it. I, I like the fact that we had a mix of races, that there was always that over like overarching tension of, hey, here's some Cyclopean guards. They're pissed off in the corner. They might kill you. Uh, one guy's like, oh, just let them alone. Let it go. Let it go. You know? And the Cyclopeans are getting all up in arms. And then their leader's like, no, let it go. Let it go. You know, they're drinking, you know. And here's the dwarves. And here's the elves. They're drinking. They're at their own tables. They're doing whatever. That. And here's Luthien and Oliver. They're over in the corner. They're trying to pick up a girl or some other girl's trying to come over. It, it added so much character to it. It added so much character to these little side sequences that we get in the dwarf, as opposed to it just being them sitting and drinking in an all-human bar. And even okay. some of the items that are in that bar, too, um, they mention like the bar stools have like stairs climbing up to them so that little people can run up them. Yeah. And like yeah, yeah, yeah. O- Oliver does that at one point where he like climbs yeah. up the stairs to his stool to where it's yeah. like human height. And I really like yeah. that. I wish there was more of that kind of stuff in there when we go into the dwarf. Like every time maybe mention something like there's a table that's half as tall as the other tables or something. You know, I'm glad you pointed that out, Dan, because I want to actually discuss that with you. Uh We're not going to deep dive on this, but I I wanted to bring that to your attention and talk to you about that. I think sometimes the way you need to do that stuff is you have like a one-time mention of it, right? Yep. And then you just know it's there. You know it's there. And I think you can expand out as a reader, as a digester of the content and say, okay, if there's stools with little stairs going up to them, it's plausible 
that some of the chairs at some of the tables would have the same thing or something that is accommodating. Like yeah. That. Yeah. So it's, I think it's, I think it's plausible to expand that out on your own. So I don't, you know, you wouldn't want would it. I, would I want another two paragraphs of exposition from Bob about it? No, no. Would I? Yeah. The more, <laughs> more yeah. items you can give me, the more, the, the more world building you can give me how to the yeah and it it could yeah i don't know probably not for every reader but i'm one of those guys that watches the um the extra the extended scenes on movies and stuff you're the extended crap you're the extended cut guy yeah i will watch the commentaries you know what i mean yeah like yeah nobody else well it's just not that popular everything so that's fine i like it it's cool and I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's how it was written is how it was supposed to be written, especially for how short the book is. It's good to sprinkle that stuff, but if you shout it, sometimes it feels like your your readers are just like, Getting oh slapped my god, by it. we know, get just it. Give, just yeah. give them a little little taste of it's for everybody here in this bar. Oh, don't ham fist it to me. And the tables were shorter, and this was this, and that was that. That's maybe some of the logic behind that. I would have liked to have seen, talking about some things that we didn't see that I would have liked to see more of, is Oliver's old connections with, like, the thieving guilds or whatever. Because we we get an immediate taste of it when he goes back to his apartment in Tiny Alcove, where it's been booby-trapped and ransacked. How come those people didn't show up again? It would have been nice to see a scene with, like, you know, one of the guys that was from maybe... um, you know, a different thieving guild, not the cutters, like a human thieving guild. And he breaks in because he was one of Oliver's friends. Oliver is a good guy. You know, he's a friendly guy. It wouldn't be so um, out of the picture to imagine that he had a friend when he was in Montfort before. And so some dude rolls up and he's got his like daggers and he, he rolls up behind Luthien and he's like, so who's the new kid? You know what I mean? And then you have this like little scene of like Luthien freaking out and Oliver going, oh, come on, Artemis. Why are you... Why do you got to sneak in like that, man? How'd you get past the door? And he's like, oh, dude, you always use the same hairpin technique or whatever. Like having a little scene of some of his past coming directly for him would have been nice and would have expanded our view of that world that we're introduced to. We're introduced to Luthien being new to this thieving world, and we know that it's there. We know there's low-level pickpockets. We know there's um, bigger guilds and stuff, but we don't really see them besides the cutters. Yeah. You know, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, 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 I think we're going to see some of that in the later books. Awesome. I, I hope so because that for me was, and I'm agreeing with you on this, that for me was something I felt was let out in this book was more, uh, current day references to Oliver's past. Yes. He tells us about the one girl he abandoned. Yep. Yes. He tells us he has He's from Gascony. I am from Gascony. I have connections everywhere. You know, he tells us about these things, right? He discusses these things. Who are they? Where are they? Yep. We learned that his actual name is Burroughs. Just straight up. Oliver Burroughs. But we still call him to Burroughs because we like him. So so we get into town uh, and then we move into, um, I guess. Thieving. What do you mean? They're they're stealing shit. Oh, yeah. they, They start stealing shit. And that's really fun. We do a couple of jobs. One goes well, one goes bad. I mean, they do several jobs that we don't yeah. hear about, which I thought was a great technique, great storytelling technique. It is because it advances not only the character's skills, 
but it also shows us a passage of time yes and a passage of events without detailing every event and again ham fisting it and shouting it at your readers again sprinkle don't shout all the time talking about uh the passage of time uh that would be another thing i didn't like about the book that he used our normal calendar for this world this fantasy world september october november december he okay. used that in this book i wish he i wish he would have come up with a different way to delineate the time i guess instead of saying instead of saying i mean you don't necessarily have to have months um but you could he could have just left in you know in this time of year uh the the cold winds were blowing in and you kind of have an idea of the time of year I, he doesn't fall need or winter him, yeah he could keep in fall and winter and spring those things are kind of they're not months you know they're kind of like synonymous all around the world whether whatever you call your months whatever you call your yeah. calendar it just yeah. kind of, that kind of threw me out of it a little bit also the name Bruce McDonald threw me out of it in the same way where it's such a, a standard E-I-E-I-O. standard name it's like it was could you just i don't know it it made me think it totally threw me off track it didn't seem like a very fantasy thing um but you you get used to it and you you let that slide you know those little things like that yeah um yeah so then we after he steals a couple things uh crimson shadow gets some notoriety starts to cause problems for morkney and um on their last thieving job it goes wrong they have to escape and then a dwarf saves the day Mm-hmm. and this is kind of what leads to the ending ending actions of the yes. book yes so we go from dwarf saving the day luthien luthien going to look for that um slave girl finding out that she's a cutter uh, a member of the thieving guild the thieving the the, yeah the cutters sorry <laughs> um and i guess so that ends her little arc you know, now now she is a thief and can go out whenever she wants past her bedtime and meet up. Yeah, with she Luthien. does. She's not. She's not really a slave. She's like, you know, which, I'm actually which so much we more. we're left with like, how does the master not know any of this? Yeah, and then how does he magically know it was her exactly. when they break the guy of the minds? Where tweet this segment to Bob. So it's so much like it, to me. It's like okay, if she can get out of her room at night and do her own cutter thing, I'm cool with that. Maybe her either her master is in on it or he's not, but she's got it down to the point where she's been in this town forever and can do that. I'm cool with that. But how do you go from a completely oblivious master to all of a sudden now he turns her in? How does he even turn her in? Okay, go. Deep dive ready? Do it. 100 feet of water? Boop. Concrete blocks strapped to your feet? We're going deep. Filled up the air tank. <sighs> Here it is. Brindamore. Knows her master. Okay. It's it's a setup to get Luthien to go after Morkney. Ooh. It's an inside job. It was all planned from the beginning. She knew about it. So she agreed to going out with this guy she didn't even know? No idea. That's just my She's prediction. that dedicated? You know, I didn't get a Some whole lot of, you know, like we talked about in our chapter that, reviews, we didn't get a whole lot of love in from no. like there i felt was, like there the, was implica- implied though it was implied yep it was implied but i felt like we got a better payoff from the love between katarin o'hale and luthien in the beginning of the story than we straight up told you they made love they made love and they talked to each other they talked about their feelings she talked about her homeland and how uh 
the political politicalness of this of Bedrogen, you know, has kind of soured her on things, mm-hmm. and they they talked about deep sh- kind of deep shit, and it's it felt like a real relationship. Whereas this one was very much like Luthien just panting like a dog waiting for the next kiss. Yeah, and it it feels like like I said, it almost feels too good to be true, like to the point to where it's based around. Again, whether you want to call it sex or whatever you want to call it, it's based around in enamoration, it's based around lust. And remember, that can be used as a very powerful weapon to convince men or women mm-hmm. to do things. So I'm thinking to myself, Brenda Moore's working in the background. It's got this slave owner. We got this not so much a slave. Remember, she's not so much a slave. Bob is basically telling us right there, there is more to this girl than meets the eye. She's a member of the Cutters. Okay, if she's a member of the Cutters, how the frick does her owner not know about that? I don't buy for a second that they've been in that city and he don't know. I am telling you, I have not read the second book recently and I have not read the third book ever. And I'm telling you, there is something more going on here. Yeah, I hope so because there Tinfoil wasn't hat. there wasn't a whole lot of a payoff for that. There wasn't. It was just kind of like, okay, we're going with it because it's the end of the book. Yep, get it on there. Tinfoil hat. Yeah, I got to bring some tinfoil Seriously. down here. Seriously, that's. I'm sorry, man. Like there has got to be something more going on there. And what if she's leading him? And that's where Luthien's gonna crash when he finds out that that love is totally bullshit. Man. Think about it. I mean, from the from the get go. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but she starts fluttering her eyes at him immediately. Right away. Like she almost like she knew he was going to be there. And, you know, that when Katerin O'Hale and Luthien met, she wasn't fluttering her eyes at him. I was like, hey, babe, probably beat him up. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably in the arena. Yeah, yeah. So that was a little bit of a, you know, I, I, I liked her. I liked her as a character. She shows up at the right time. She battles. She can climb buildings. Great. She's competent. Think about it. Yeah. There's something going on Think there. About it. Think so about then it. we get, so now we know who Shaban is. We know the cutters. We have an in with the cutters. They are now communicating openly with Oliver and Luthien. And they let them know when... Is this yeah? Then we let them know that the trial has ha- is going to happen with for Shuglin, and he gets cast to the mines uh, to be a slave in the mines. They go to the mines, and they get Shuglin. I I guess it it actually does this does kind of match up with Luthien at this point because he is still low level kind of, and it's like this seems realistic enough where he's like I'm going to help this dwarf that helped me, but they get yeah. in so deep. They go so deep into the mines where it's like, this is going to cause a big situation. Mm-hmm. And then Shaban shows up with a bunch of cutters, which I think we had a problem with that too. Where it was like, why would they care? Why would they yeah, tell? I, I asked that. What question. is the point if, of that? If Luthien doesn't pursue her yeah. ever, never gets involved with her. What happens? I don't know. Do the cutters show up do the cutters know about the crimson shadow if luthien never pursues her okay i got it the reason why they they show up is because they want the crimson shadow i know they do but if they want the crimson shadow and she's a cutter chances are there's some sort of agenda going on here but and then i think she is like they're in of like his inner thoughts and they go on dates and stuff. And he's like, man, I really want to save this dwarf. Cause he saved us. And she goes back to the cutter leader and is like, Hey man, 
if we want him on our side, we got to help him out sometimes. L- listen, Tasman. Taz. I still stand by Tasman's the leader of the country. I, I still stand by it. I would buy that. That would be wonderful. I'd love to hear tales of, of Tasmanian devil. Yeah. Yep. 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 But yeah. So my, my thought is, my thought is there's gotta be something more here, right? Not yep. so much a slave. There's gotta be something more here. There's no way she's doing all this. Somebody doesn't know about it. And then they just show up to help. And I'm totally fine with them showing up to help. In fact, I kind of thought they were going to, when they did, yeah, I'm like, yeah, something's got to happen here because there's no way these two are dying here in the mines. It's just not going to happen. I would have liked to seen a successful raid where they just they break them out and it, they make it appear to be just a breakout rather than a big attack where they kill all these Cyclopeans and all this kind of shit. I would have liked to seen the more sneaky side where Oliver maybe runs the job. And goes, okay, mm. you want to do this? You want to be a dumbass? We're going to do it right. And so then... Yeah, we're going to be a dumbass my way. Yep. And they, they do it where... But, you know, I don't know if that's an Oliver thing. He's very flamboyant, you know? Like, we have we yeah. seen him... I mean, besides actually just stealing stuff when there's no opposition, when there's no one there to guard it, besides that, he goes... He just goes out with a bang. So, I don't know. I would have liked to see a more sneaky, stealthy mission. That'd probably be hard to write, but... That would have been nice, but then it doesn't. It doesn't uh, kick off what happens next, which is the Crimson Shadow becomes so renowned that people start impersonating him. Everybody hears mm-hmm. about the breakout at the mines, and they all know it was Crimson Shadow, and they've been painting shadows on the walls now. You know, I want to be the next Crimson Shadow. The shadow so lives, my man. Try to, I'm going to go try to break out some people out of these wagons, and me and my buddy uh, Stumpy Corset Buster here, we're we're going. Dirty Abner. Hey, I'm Dirty Ab, and I need a drink. I'm Stumpy Corset Buster. Call your mom. So then, then we get back, um, and just out of nowhere, someone gets taken in to the Justicar. Shaban gets taken in by her slave master as the person who broke out people. And it's like... It was just such a leap. Uh, we talked about it already. It was such a leap. The only way I see this logically making sense, the only way I see this logically making sense is if Shaban and her slave master are in on it together. Yeah. And that is why she was brought in to get Luthien to go there so they could start this uprising. That is the only, because you don't hear another word about her slave master. You don't hear that she killed him. You don't hear that she turned on him. You don't hear any of that stuff. And she definitely has the opportunity at the end of the book. You don't hear a damn thing about it. Well, the only thing we hear about the slave masters, we do actually get to meet him. It's at the trial. And um, Green Sparrow says, uh, who's the owner of this slave girl? And he goes, right here. Mean, right? What? Morkney, you mean, right? Oh, yeah. Morkney. Yeah. Duke Morkney. Um, yeah. says, who's the owner of the slave girl? He goes, right here. And he goes, you'll be uh, compensated for your loss. And so then he looks relieved. That's all we see of the slave master. Yeah, he lets it go. It it would have been nice. It would have been nice to have, um, like, go with me on this one real quick. Tasman. We, How deep are we going? Uh, Kitty pool. It would have oh, okay. It would have been nice. Water wings. Yeah, water wings. Get the water wings out. It would have been nice if we had saw something on Tasman, like maybe his left pinky was cut off, or he had like a mark on his face or something. Where when we say who owned this slave girl, we see a dude raise his Similar hand, mark. missing a, a digit. 
it would be a nice, nice park. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying, bro. All right. So then uh, they go and they face down Morkney. The undead live. They're taken down. Morkney makes a deal with the demon. So we learn a little bit about how these first dukes, what kind of actual power they have. Prehotek. Prehotek, the demon. He's also, um, you know, he's casting spells that raise the undead unleashing the stone gargoyles to be living animate objects. And they all seem to be like their own spells that are pent up and just ready to burst rather than him having to actively hold, hold and maintain them, you know, like almost like he had prepared for this. Yes. So, Oh, it's definitely a trap. We know that already. Yeah. And so what did you think about, what did you think about the whole demon thing? Did you like how they did it? I kind of prefer when they when you summon your demons. You know what I mean? When they're their own entities rather than coming out of your own flesh. I was fine with the fact that he transformed. I thought it was a cool scene. And I thought the fight was cool. But as soon as it started from the get-go, and I might have said this in our yeah. first breakdown of the chapters, as soon as that fight started, I knew he was going to have an inner fight with a demon. I knew it was going to happen. Because usually an evil entity and the host do not get along. But the thing about Especially, it was, okay, so his skin bulged painfully, and he, you could hear his bones snapping, and he's getting bigger. When he turns back into a human, he's just a naked human. How does that happen? Hmm? Like, it was just like, really, dude? Why couldn't... I don't know. Well, well, you had a demonic plague that killed, what, one or two of every three people Yep. in, in Eridor? So it's not out of, out of line to think that the demonic magic could save him. Yeah. It would have been it's not totally that would have crazy. been another nice thing too. Why couldn't we have Morkney a scene with Morkney in the same way that we saw the scene where he's he's uh looking for Luthien or looking for yeah. the Crimson Shadow where he's having a conversation with some unknown entity beyond the mirror. Some Ooh. some demonic um abyssal horror that we don't get to actually see the full view of. Well remember, this is the first of three books. He's got two more books to do that yet. No, Morkney's dead. I know, but Bob has two more books to do something. Oh, like with that. like demons and stuff. The yeah, demon realm. Yeah, because I would we we talked about it a little bit uh, in the chapter review, but I would have loved to see some some demon discussion. You know, yeah, we a... we never saw anything. No, about the demon except for the initial mentioning again with the plague at the yep. start of the book, like demonic magic that he made a pact with the demons. Yep. Well, okay, so you got a pact with the demons, and then when the demons come up again. Now you know, okay, this is serious because the last time demons were mentioned, we lost two of every three people. Yeah. And so now it would be nice now that uh, Luthien slayed, not slayed the demon, but dispatched him to the until he wasn't able to hold his mental control over the, uh, the corporeal form anymore, where Morkney comes out and then Morkney gets slain. Now, does that demon, co- would that demon come back? I would love to see Prehotek come back. Because now he's going to come so. back with a vengeance. I hope so. And I would like to see some sort of scene where the next Duke that we meet, or maybe we, you know, I don't know. I'd like to see a scene where demons are talking to each other or demons are talking to wizards and going, uh, we got a guy named Prehotek here who really wants payback on this Luthien kid. Can we make that happen? You know, like just some sort of really cool um, introduction to the demon world. I don't know if we're going to get that, but I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. I'd be totally done with that. 
Okay, so now it leads us to the end of the book. Uh, we're in the prologue. We know Luthien's got to make some decisions. He, he, this is where it comes my little tinfoil hat time. So at the end of the book, he says, I know that in the spring, Green Sparrow's going to come down with his army from Avon, and we're going to have a battle. And then he learns yep. that Garrus is now on his side and that all the Cyclopeans are gone and that he's giving the uh, giving Blind Striker to Luthien. So how do we go from uh, Luthien taking over Montfort to all of a sudden Garrus being like, yo, let's take over the entire island. It takes about a month to do that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And... This leads me to believe that's a little quick. I was thinking, man, that's kind of quick for someone who thought his son was dead or presumed that he was in hiding. Now all of a sudden is just on board. We're going for it. That brings me back to the, I think it was the third chapter when Ethan storms off and um, he says, I'm going to have to now enact my plans that I didn't, that I didn't uh, want to, but now I'm going to have to do them now. I think he's yeah okay Tim Foyley, lay it on me what do you i got? think he sent ethan out and in the same way that luthien went out in the sense that they themselves didn't know the importance of their roles garris from the beginning has been telling them know your role you know like just keep doing you or whatever i and he tells ethan one thing i'm sending you off to uh be with green sparrow's army in avon to fight against Gascony. And then he tells to Luthien, you're going to be here or whatever. Luthien doesn't have it, kills the Cyclopean leaves. And so now Garrus, for all intents and purposes, he's got the one plan going. And I think his plan is to send Ethan out and to have Ethan start turning some of Green Sparrow's army to be on their side. Do you know what I'm saying? So now in the spring... Green Sparrow's army is going to be chugging, chugging, chugging down the hall. We've got um, Garrus and the the little islands over there. So we, we're going to have Bruce Durgis and his boys coming down with their boats. Of course. Of course. They're coming down and they're going to meet up and we're going to have a standoff between the two armies. And then half of Green Sparrow's army is going to turn around and be like, nah, nah, nah. And it's going to be Ethan at the front. And I think it was all like this This plan of Garrus's went way better than he thought because Luthien actually did something. Now I'm going to connect this to yours where uh, <laughs> Brindamore, I'm, I'm losing my threads. <laughs> Brindamore knew about Luthien through Garrus. He already said he was watching him for a long time. Yep. So him and Garrus and Bruce Durgis used to chill together. Used to wow, hang. that's a stretch, bro. Okay. They used to talk about the crops this year, the yield that they're going to do. We doing bean sprouts. What are we doing? Corn, soybeans. What do we got? Okay. Mm, and that makes more sense. So now that's why Garrus didn't freak out when Luthien fled because he knew his boy was still alive because he's yeah, got. Did you notice that nobody came looking for him? No. Nope. Ever? Nope. And originally we thought that was because um, Garrus was trying to keep his cool around Avaness, the spy. But now we know she's in chains. You know what I mean? She is shackled up somewhere in some dungeon. Just rotting away. Go ahead. Finish your, finish your story. No, that's it. I have a Basically, story. my, that's my it. thought is that this was all planned by Garrus and Brindamore and whoever else, Bruce Sturgis included, 
and um, now they can finally enact their plan. I, trigger trigger warning. I usually don't give these because I don't believe in them. Trigger warning. Them. Yeah, I don't believe in them, but trigger warning. Three, two, one. How the fuck did Catherine O'Hale know it was Luthien at Montfort? What do you mean? How the fuck? They don't have cell phones. They don't have email. They don't have any of that shit. So you tell me how the frick Garrus knew it was Luthien in Montfort starting the uprisings. Tell me how. Because he sent, he sent a letter. I thought Luthien didn't send that letter. He didn't, but I'm saying once he did this, a month has passed. Maybe he sent a rider. It's a stretch, bro. It did take a long time been, to get there. We, we would have been told that. I think, I think. She must know. Right. And how would she know? Brindamore and Garrus are in cahoots. I think you're right. I think there's some way Garrus is getting this information. Because here's the thing, dude. No cell phones, no emails. We, we hear nothing about pigeons, nothing about ravens, none of that shit. You tell me how the hell Garrus knew it was Luthien. You tell me. I don't know. You know, It I, would it, make sense that he would have to go that way. Yeah. But you tell me how Garrus knew because that's way I had too assumed that, that as soon as this went down, Luthien sent word to his father saying, hey, I'm good. You, you know? could. You totally could. You totally could just assume that. Yeah. My thought is, how do you know? And the more we think about it, the more what you said makes sense. Cool. So, that this is a good book. I like this book. It, is, it allows it you to do book. these deep dives if you want. I think we could do this with any book. You know what I mean? I, I really enjoyed that it was easy enough where I could follow along enough. I mean, I had some errors here and there. There was... Um, with the in in the beginning of the book, you know, there are some things I just didn't click. So that that's why it helped being a buddy read was because, yeah. like in that in that first scene when we meet uh, Avoness and um, Elenia, and they say Avon and Ellen, and I'm like, yeah. what's that about? Does it have something to do with the map? There's Avon in the lower, and you're like, dude, no, it's they're just being pretentious. pretentious. Yep, pretentious, pretentious <laughs> douchebags. That helped me out a lot to keep me level when I'm, my mind wants to but go to you, 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 know? you, you are that way though. You, and that's okay. Yep. You always want to go so deep on things and you always want to, you always, why, why is, why is he doing this? What, what, I, I, I can't, I'll have to stop. I have to stop everything I'm doing. What is going on? That's just how you are. Yep. And that's okay. That's why we do this podcast. Multiple types of readers out there or listeners let in me, my case. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. What are your thoughts? Because we didn't really talk about it that much. Yep. What are your thoughts on the importance of the Hugoths, the, the barbarian raiders, the warlike folk that never enslaved people that we never got to see? They'll show up. What are yes! your thoughts? Yes. What are your thoughts? what are your thoughts on the turtle and Balthazar and the treasure room and the bow and the cave? What are your thoughts on all that? I mean, we didn't even hardly discuss that in this. So it was a really important part of the book. Originally, I thought so. Originally, this is the way it's presented to Luthien Oliver is that this was the cave where they had enslaved the original king of the Cyclopeans uh, in his most mightiest warriors. And we didn't see a lick of that inside. The only yep. thing we saw was burnt up corpses. Yep. And then we meet a dragon who doesn't immediately uh, blow Luthien and Oliver away, but decides to talk to them. 
And then we we also meet a, a turtle who's just doing a turtle thing. We get past it. It's a kind of a fun little danger, but we get past it. Yep. So back when we read it, I thought, wow, they got out of that one, and they got the staff, and they got some extra stuff. But now that I'm thinking about it more, the fact that Brindamore lied in the first place to get him inside this, I think Brindamore is friends with this dragon. Maybe not friends with the turtle, because the turtle isn't sentient. But the turtle just lives down there, you know what I mean? But I think Brindamore told the dragon, hey man, I want you to test these guys. Are they worthy? If, if there's a shred of doubt, you use the dragon gaze, right? If there's a shred of doubt if these guys are worthy, freaking burn them to a crisp. What if this was a test of worthiness? And Garrus even knew about it. Totally. Oh, how deep does it go? It goes so deep, my doll. <laughs> oh, my God. So deep. I mean, is it actually that way? Probably not. not. But if it was, dude, how cool That's would cool. that be? Well, it, the, there's the evidence that it could be a test is there. Yeah, because he do, really the obvious. dragon doesn't kill him. No. The dragon does get pissed. And he does yeah. almost blow them to bits. But Brindamore is there. Brindamore is there to stop it. To stop the uh, the flames. Be like, hey, man, Belthy, come on, my belt. You got all your gems, all your jewels. Can't you just go to sleep? And he does stop it. Yeah. Think about it. Like, and that brought us all the way back to, why did he even need them to get the staff in the first place if he could drop things like satchels of crimson capes and, you know, collapsing boats, you know? Think he probably could have done it himself. He, You know, he he's done white lies in the past. And then... Whatever happened to the Cyclopean with all of his greatest honor knights or whatever? Is that a real story? Was that just fake? Or was that like, like, there was no payoff for that. You know, it was a lie to get them to go in there. But like, you know, that didn't that prepare why, them for what they faced. Is that why the chapter was called White Lies? I guess, you know, it was White Lies to get them in there. But like, that's a shitty white lie. That's not a white lie. I always assume a white lie is like, how are you feeling today? I'm fine. And you really feel like shit, but it, it helps the other person keep going because you're just lying. You know what I mean? You I know do. what I'm saying? Like, I do. N- a, I don't feel like a white lie is like, hey, um, can you go in there? It's a pit of vipers. And you go in there and it's a pit of like Rottweiler dogs. Like that's Jesus. worse. You know what I mean? What's well, worse? The Cyclopean sure. King and his honor knights or a, or a fire-breathing dragon. dragon. Yeah, they could have probably fought the Cyclopean King. Yeah, they probably could have taken them, at least a few of them out before they got the staff. But, yeah. Okay, so there's that. Interesting. Some things that we didn't see that I want to see. Okay? And then bring up all these other things that you keep coming up with. You're coming up with some great, like, uh, theories and stuff. So the Hugoths, you told me, coming up yeah, in the next book. I, 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 well, I don't know that, but I want Yeah, you do. You Hugoths. said they're coming back. I, I said they're coming back as in they're coming back. They got it because how do we know the, the, the Hugos? They're the barbarian raiders on Isle Bedrogen and they're honorable warlike folk. If we're going to war against Green Sparrow, we going to need us some Hugoths. What if, who's your boy, the Cyclopean from the... Uh, Croesus. No, your other boy. The guy Buck, whoa! What if Buckwo and the uh, Hugoths show up 
with Garrus to kick. You just ass. threw Bockwell in there to make me happy. Then yes, yeah, of course, of course I did, bro. Of we need Bockwell. Of course I did, bro. We need more Bockwell. Get me some Bockwell. <laughs> Be about two ninety nine a pound, bro. <laughs> Bockwell, right. dude. So, so we didn't get the Hugos. What else did you want? Um, the five Sentinels. In the Already? beginning. Yeah, I want to see the five Sentinels. I mean, they brought it up in the in the epilogue about how cool the five Sentinels are, the Windbreakers. You know, those islands on the the eastern side of the of Eriador the multi, mainland. The multicolored lichen that glow, glow or grow in the dark or whatever. I'm not sure, there's a misspelling somewhere. <laughs> Dude, why don't you tweet that question to Bob? I did. Well, I tweeted him and I said, "Hey, we're doing a review on Sunday. Would it be cool if I like sent you like a couple questions and answer it?" Because I couldn't find his email. You know, to right. email him. Um, and he didn't respond to that, and I respect that. He gets thousands of tweets a day. It's true. And then to to as a being a tweet, I could I I actually wanted to direct message him, so that it wasn't like on the freaking Twitter verse, yeah. you know. But there's no way to do that on Twitter. You can't send a like a private message, you know. Yeah, you can. Uh oh, yes, you can, but I'm not part of his in crowd or whatever. Oh, like you yeah, have to cool be enough. like friends or something. So he oh. he's grayed out for me, so I can't be like, hey man. You know, maybe later on, uh, after we read the third book and we have him on the podcast for the fifth time. Hell yeah, cuz. But after <laughs> after that, maybe. But in the meantime, I did have a list of ten questions for him. And I can go sure. over them if you want, but I've got it ready. It's in the can, ready to go. Let's hear it. Uh, I mean, we can get to that. You want to hear the questions? Yeah, give me a couple. Yeah, do more. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Let me find them. Uh, questions for Bob. Bob. Random Book Club hey Bob, Podcast this is here. Random Book Club Podcast. You know us. We hang out on weekends. We were there when you wrote the book. First question. <laughs> is the multicolored lichen of the Five Sentinels growing, Kindle version, God, after sunset, damn. or glowing, physical book version? Next question. Garth Rogar gets killed by the Cyclopean Guard with a crossbow right after he loses the Luthien in the arena. Have you ever killed any likable characters, likable and potential main characters so quickly in any of your other books? Next question. When Luthien is mulling over the death of his friend Garth in the arena, Katarin and Luthien have a discussion and then camp out with each other to ward off the cold against the August night. Why did you use normal calendar months? Why didn't you make one up? Next question. When you write these stories, do you have a rough world map in your head or do you just write and make up the map later? Do you have help in making the maps? I was interested in that. Like, how do you make your maps? Like, do you make the maps or does someone make it for you? Or... Like, do you have a friend make them or something? Like, because that's a good map. Yeah, I have to have my friends make my maps because I can't draw. And then I had something about how do you um, how do you keep track of all your imaginary creatures and and stuff like that? Um, do you keep a document of files or notes on stories that you write? Um, how do you come up with fantasy sounding names? Do you use a generator or do you just come up with them on your own? Add apostrophes and commas. And then I and then the last question was, what projects are you working on now that we can promote to our listeners? I don't know what he's working on. I should, I should probably look that up. I know he's been doing his uh, Child of a Mad God series, and he's really proud of that. And I I like that series as well. It's pretty good. But besides that, I don't know. I don't know if he's doing a movie or what. He did release those pop figurines of Dritz and Guinevere. Nice. That was pretty cool. Uh, but going back to the the things that we didn't see. Croesus, Croesus, yeah, yeah. Where the fuck is Croesus, the first Duke of Green Sparrow, the leader of the Cyclopean Horde? Um, He's a big deal. Where is he? I want to see him. 
we he we should have hear, shown up at least yeah we hear of green sparrow saying hey man how come your mining production's down dog you know get that back up we hear of him we don't hear of Croesus. why that why not i want to see him um bruce durgis gotta come back earl of marvis longtime bro of garris you just like you just like him you just you just i feel like you need to go to isle marvis have some leek soup and a feast and just bang them all. So if you, <laughs> you know, how you say you think that you're Luthien and I'm Oliver, I yeah. think that you're Garrus and I'm Bruce Durgis. Uh, it's so true. <laughs> Damn it. If we're going to be real, I think yeah. I'm Bruce Durgis. And, uh, you know, on my own little island over here. Yeah, man. Talking about the crops, dude. That'd be true. So, um... I guess that's going to kind of wrap it up. Last thoughts on the book. Big review here. I like this book. This is a good book. Yeah. It's worth a read. Um, it is. It's really fun to read with somebody. You got all your fantasy tropes. You got some interesting themes. I, uh, go back in the chapter. Um, check out our, our chapter summaries if you haven't. Um, there's some really cool little um, vignettes of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? these tales of morality, morality tales where like, for instance, the one that comes to mind is the one where Luthien is, is in lust for Shaban and Oliver's like sharing, like you've, you've only seen her, you know, like the grass is always greener on the other side. The flower that's on the other side of the field that's unpicked is better unpicked and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Especially until you meet them. Yeah. We had a great discussion about that during that episode that I think is, really apt for the uh the market for this book young hey, boys here's, here's another here's another discussion uh and i think it was miss b go wolves i think it was her class that brought this up oh yeah is it po- is it possible that oliver is bisexual or gay possible just totally possible it was uh it was like a, it was a question that i had never even considered until you well we kind of question you know it could have always He's came flamboyant. Up. Yes. He's very flamboyant. So yeah, we, I think in the end we'd kind of decided he's not, he's just a flamboyant dude and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being a dude that's flamboyant, but there is a lot of, you can find a lot of evidence for him being gay for Luthien. For being gay or being bisexual. Yep. You could very easily make the argument based on evidence presented in the book that Oliver is. But speaking of our favorite, uh, honors 10th grade english class mrs b yeah. uh did get back to me i sent her an email before we did this saying hey we're going to do our final review uh do you have a copy of the test so that we can answer the questions and um uh you know give all your students the answers prior to the test let's see if we could pass you and know, here, see if we're and here's her response class. i'm not a big fan on tests um but we are working on a paper love that mrs b i don't like tests either Tell me your thoughts in a paper and prove that you know the work. I like there that. You go. I like there that. You go. So yeah, she give says, me the opportunity to prove it. So she says she's this is the uh the paper that they, they need to come up with a theme statement and support it with evidence from the book. Great. That's a great paper. So by theme statement, she means a sentence about life that applies to the book. There shouldn't be any details from the book in the theme statement. Details from the book are used to prove the theme. So for example, 
Her example is this. The theme of the Sword of Bedwear is that a person can be selfish without being evil. And she talks about Oliver being selfish, but he's not actually evil and uses points in the book to back that up. What about Luthien being selfish? And putting being Oliver, putting, yeah, putting Oliver and his own safety at risk to go and meet that half-elf. Yeah. I mean, you could make that argument, too. In fact, you could make the argument that Oliver is nowhere near as selfish as Luthien is. Yeah, that's true. Oliver is always trying to talk him out of things because he just constantly wants to go see this girl. Or he wants to go rescue this guy or go do this or go do that. He's constantly putting their own safety at risk. Use that one, kids. That's a good one. Uh, one for me that I was kind of thinking, you know, I, there was a there was a couple of things that I thought of. Um, but one that sticks out to me is the end justifies the means. So does it though? I think it, do, I think it does in the point of Garrus, he loses the trust of his two sons in order to start the rebellion. I think he loses the trust of Ethan for sure. Yeah. Maybe the faith. I think faith, faith he loses faith. his not. And I don't mean faith as in religion. I mean, faith as in like, yeah, for his son to look at him and say, my dad's got this under control. Yeah. That's what I mean when I say he loses faith. I think he loses the faith of Ethan, but not 100% on Luthien. Yeah, Luthien still is kind of a daddy's boy. He wants to impress yeah. his father still. Which is why he's thinking about writing him the letter yeah. halfway through the book. Um, But, you know, we also look at Luthien, for instance, and, you know, he's trying to do the right thing in his own way. And even though he's doing bad things, the end justifies the means for him. Okay. For okay. Oliver, um, you know, he wants it. He wants to bring uh, like uh, equality back. He wants to get the, the poor people to be ha- have more. He wants the rich people to be taken down. And if that requires him to steal some shit, then that's what he's going to do. For Green Sparrow, the end justifies the means for him in that he wants to take over all of Erlador and to do that he has to cast a plague that's going to kill you know a third of the population his goal is to take over Erlador and he does it so even though he had to kill a bunch of people it was worth it to him um something interesting though that isn't really a theme but I don't know I want to I wanted to bring this up before the Cyclopeans all lived in the Iron Cross, in the mountains of the Iron Cross, and they were a huge issue for the people of Erlador and specifically in um, Isle Badrigin when random Cyclopean hordes were rolling through. After Greensparrow took over, he reigned in with Croesus all the Cyclopeans. So now instead of them being, you know, rampaging through the northern lands of Eriador, they're now pretty much settled in and not killing people left and right, as far as we know, right? So, like, can a bad guy actually help out in some ways, too? Yes. You know? Absolutely, 100%. So I kind of thought of those things. Was there any theme that came to mind for you that you wanted to present as an idea for the kids? Well, I think we, you know, I think we talked about... I think we talked about it in one of our other videos, whether it was the short review or whether it was the why you must read sort of bedwear. I just said, doing what you believe is right, even if you're, you know, even if you're, I mean, even if other people say you're wrong, you know, look at, look at how Luthien's been raised, strong fighter, stand by your values, 
don't give in to evil. And right away, he meets somebody that's totally different than him. And now he's working with this guy. He's a thief. Luthien Bedweer is a freaking thief. Never thought I'd, first of all, I never thought I'd see that. Yeah. By the way, never thought that was going to happen. And even though he's a thief, he is standing, still standing by his values. And what he is doing is helping. And what he is doing is, you know, is necessarily not a bad thing. So he, he, it's not like he's going out and stealing and just killing random people. Yep. It's not like he's, 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 he's going out and robbing the poor people. You know, he's, he is still trying to stay by those core values. I like, I like where you're going with that. So let's distill that into a a theme statement. So it would be like, um, uh, being true to yourself or being true, making choices that are true to yourself is more important than making the right choices or something like that. Basically what others perceive to be the right choices. Because with Luthien, even though he is a thief, he will tell Oliver, I don't agree with this. Yes. I don't think this is right. And he will, he, he will does challenge it multiple him. times. He will challenge he him and say, maybe times, we yeah. shouldn't be doing this. And Oliver will then kind of give him some life lessons and stuff. So yeah, that, like, that's interesting. Why we're doing this because these people are poor. They're destitute. The kids are in the streets. They have no jackets and we're stealing. So we can go buy jackets, give these jackets to the kids. Cause these kids are going to die otherwise. So and they would have, so it's like, it's like, so you look at this, like, you know, even let's talk about somebody else. Forget uh, Luthien for a second. Let's talk about Oliver. Oliver knows at the end of the book, he knows going back onto that rooftop. He knows he could die very easily. He goes back onto that rooftop with that with that demon. So the theme statement is friendship is magic. Think about this. No, this is not my little pony. <laughs> but think about this though. Do do what you believe is right. Right? Always stand by yourself. And you know, maybe maybe that sticks with Oliver when he left his friend behind. Think about that. Mm-hmm. And he has a chance. He has a chance to turn and run, but he knows it's wrong. It's safety. If he leaves, it's he's safe. He's out of there. So maybe the theme would be you always have the opportunity to change. Yeah. There's definitely you, you never it's never too late to change the way you live or something like that. Yeah. Or change who you are. There's it's never too late for that. And Oliver turns around and he goes back up for that fight and just the little distraction from him is enough. And and this is a good a good way to um see the difference between two very very different morality characters. Oliver has been in positions where he has made the other decision than what Luthien makes. And even though yes. Luthien goes with his heart a lot of the time, typically it's morally more in the good realm as opposed to being the morally more um more ambiguity there or more yeah. gray area yeah. that Oliver has done. So Oliver has this life of just kind of being selfish and going along with these maybe morally not so good things. I mean, he was a highway halfling for a long time, probably yeah. just for profit um, for a long time. But yeah. he, once he meets Luthien and sees how Luthien lives, he sees how he can dovetail himself into that and actually start to make a difference. I mean, he, you know, was the the 
this this the purchasing of all those coats for the kids was that Oliver's idea because he's been doing it for years, or was he doing it because he now knows Luthien? You know what lead I mean? By ex- lead by example. There's a great theme. Lead by example, even when others challenge you. Lead by example. Yeah, you got Garrus. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, Garrus just comes off as like a mean dad, but in the end, <laughs> he does care about his kids. He does. He uh, does. So I'd love to see more of Garrus in the next book. But yeah, I, I thought that was a good way to to end this review. Uh, good book. Good read. Very good book. Very good read. Enjoyable. Easy to understand. Fantasy. Uh, again, a good buddy read. You know, you saw us break it down in what, 10, 15 episodes? I mean, we had almost an hour for every episode, so there's plenty to talk about, plenty to discuss, and it was just fun. It was a good time. Yeah. So uh, with that, thank you guys so much for listening to our first book on the Random Book Club podcast. Yeah, thanks for being here for this, guys. This has been awesome. Justin, uh, for the for the last time until we meet again for our next book, where can the people find your stuff? Uh, links are in the description. You guys can check us out on Amazon. We've got some fantasy books. I've got a light novel project I'm working on. Follow us on Wattpad, Jared and Justin Authors. You guys can hook us, hook us, hook us, hook up with us there. I uh, got some fun writing projects on there. Honestly, most of it is just random at this point, but uh, I'm working. I got a couple of things in the fire I'm working on, and uh, I'm, I'm hoping next time we talk to have more, more to share with you. Want to discuss end. on that special yeah, projects? Yeah, and I also want to, yeah. again, just like in the in the short review, this is something that Justin wouldn't promote himself. I don't know if he's okay with it, but I'm still going to do it. He's got his own YouTube channel. He helped me a lot when I started this. It's called The Balding Plebs, and they play video games. They do reviews on everything from anime, movies, games, release release of editions of collector sets, everything. It's a lot of fun, very funny content. Him and his uh, brother do that together, and it's a blast to watch. He's also got an outdoors channel where he does fishing videos in Wisconsin, which is really interesting to watch. Where, where can they find that content? Uh, they can find us at Real Wisconsin Outdoors. Love that. So if you want to be a fisherman like Luthien and <laughs> like Justin, go check that stuff out. If you miss his face after a couple of the next episodes when we're on a different book with a different host, co-host, you can check out his content whenever you want. He uploads regularly. So with that, thank you very much for joining me on this epic first book in the Random Book Club podcast, The Sword of Bedweer by R.A. Salvatore. Hey, uh, Dan, real quick before we before we close this, because I know I know you're obviously you're the favorite here on the podcast. I mean, everybody, everybody wants to hang out with Dan. But is this the last book that I'm reading with you? Hell no. Uh, Spoiler alert for the viewers. What are we reading next? Well, that's a good question. We don't know yet. It could be um, The Aeronauts Windless. It's a book I recommended. Um, the first book in the Cinder Spire series, or it could be a Warhammer 40k. It could be. You know, we don't because you know it could be either sure. of those. You know, it's yeah. it's kind of what we decide. So we'll probably we're gonna start with the Windless and Aeronauts Windless, and if Justin's just not into it, then we're gonna bounce on that, and I'll just do it on a with a different co-host or something because I really enjoy that book. I think it'd be right up Justin's alley. Um, but you know, we might change our mind. You know, he hasn't checked out the Astartes videos yet. And I think if he watched that, he'd be more inclined to read a 40 K novel than 
something else, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll have to discuss we'll see what happens. I've got the hardcover of the uh, Aeronauts Winless upstairs. I'm actually going to be starting it probably in the next week or two. That's cool. Yeah, he's he's going to be working on his main project that he's going to discuss when he comes back on. Um, so he's going to get a little break while I work with another co-host on another book. I think uh, right now I can say that we're going to be doing The Witcher, uh, the first book, The Last Wish. So that'll be pretty awesome. cool when that comes out. And First Very time cool. I've ever read R- Witcher stuff. I've never played the games. I've never watched the Netflix series. I've seen the games. I know they exist. I know people like them, but I've never read the books or anything. So this is a first for me. So that'll be kind of cool. But anyway, with that being said, that's all the business. Uh, Thank you very much. uh, And thanks for listening to the Random Book Club podcast.